Welcome to the Love Your 9 to 5 show, episode number 4. Caution, you will begin to love your 9 to 5 with this show. Join us as we explore and discover your unique strengths and learn to apply them to your daily business activities with your host, Shmuel Septimus. Welcome everybody to this episode of the Love Your 9 to 5 show where we speak with successful business people, successful leaders who share with their skills, talents, and life experiences of how they came to love what they do in their 9 to 5, whether that is their job that they do as an hourly employee or if that is their new business or side side business that they have created for themselves. I am really excited today. My guest today is Nick Loper. Nick is the founder of the Side Hustle Nation, the Side Hustle Nation blog, the Side Hustle Nation podcast, and author of several books, um, some of which are Buy Buttons, Work Smarter, and several others available on Amazon, and other businesses which I'm sure we'll hear about later in this interview. Before we begin, I'd just like to preface that it's a result of this podcast that I've begun uh, searching myself for a side hustle, and which has given birth to many things, one of which is the Love Your 9 to 5 uh, show. So with no further ado, Nick, welcome to the show. Very cool. Thank you for having me. That's kind of cool to hear. No, it is really exciting, and it's it's an honor to have you on the show today. So before we get started, um, if you can tell us a little bit more personally about where you are right now in life um, and professionally, what you're doing right now and kind of how you got into the Side Hustle Nation and how that all started. Well, I've been very grateful to have been self-employed for the last eight years, nine years, I think. And it's been kind of a weird roller coaster of ups and downs that I didn't didn't necessarily ex- expect. <laughs> I think I was kind of like naive starting out. Like, oh, this right. is be great. You know, I got the four-hour work week uh, lifestyle kind of envisioned in my head. And it's, it's been anything but that, but it's been more uh, more in line with the title of your show, like loving the nine to five, like trying to find work that is actually exciting and interesting and challenging. And uh, that's kind of where uh, I'm at today with the Side Hustle Nation stuff and the Side Hustle Show podcast stuff is like, this is, I mean, it's so fun to talk to people um, you know, for the show to, you know, try and reverse engineer how they got it done. And, and I know it's a great show and I like hang up and like, I could totally do that. I should totally do that. And it's, it can be distracting at times, but it's super, super fun. And same thing on the, on the blog, trying to come up with, you know, different angles, different ways to tell the story, different, you know, doing the research and putting these posts together. It's, uh, it's been a blast, but it, it wasn't always that way. So my first, I guess, job was working for Ford out of uh, out of college so they moved me from Washington state to Washington DC and okay. I didn't know anybody and was trying to figure out you're trying to just navigate this well you, know, so you, you moved across the country for those who don't know their geography I just got that <laughs> <laughs> go ahead yeah I was you know kind of displaced from my my friends and my family my girlfriend at the time you know so we stuck together and did the long distance thing and we're married now so we're you know we're glad we stuck it out but it was good for you. A lot of, you know, a lot of free time, nights and weekends, especially weeknights, trying to figure out, well, am I just going to be playing video games, watching TV? Like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And that's when 
you know, got more serious about the side hustle stuff. Like, well, I could use this time to build a business, to build an asset, to try to try to whittle my own, you know, ladder to escape this, uh, you know, corporate, this corporate gig that I didn't necessarily hate. It just wasn't like I didn't see myself climbing the ladder there. Does that make sense? No, that makes a lot of sense. I just had a couple of things that I just wanted to dig in a little bit further. Um, I read the four hour work week as well. I've heard everybody mention it. And, <laughs> you know, I've listened to Tim Ferriss, uh, his podcast and the ebook and, and I came out of it, you know, I came home and I'm like, okay, this is the way to go. And my wife kind of, you know, grounded me a little bit. Like, do you really want to be sitting on the beach and just working four hours a week? What are you going to be doing with the rest of your time? And right. kind of came to the realization, similar to yours, is that I don't want to work four hours a week. Uh, but but like that uh, cardboard sign that you were holding up on the website, which which is so awesome, that says on it, you know, work for not food, not money, but work for freedom. So I want to be able to work when I want to work and how I want to work. And, and most importantly, from where? so that I'm not physically tied down to a location. Those are the things that I pulled out from there. And I see that you kind of came to that realization, too, is that it's not as enticing as the title of the cover suggests. It may be possible, but for most people, that's not really what they want. So, that, so that's really cool that you, know, that you did that. Was there a particular mentor, that someone that, you know, you've had a tremendous impact on me, and it really got me thinking completely out of my comfort zone, um, and doing things like we're doing today, was there anyone during this free time when you started, you know, doing uh, some of the research on online businesses? Was there a particular person or website or um, or resource that was helpful for you to kind of guide you into what you're doing right now? This was probably a <laughs> a sticking point or a failure point early on because I was very much isolated, very much heads down, kind of doing my own thing, and I think I really could have accelerated the, accelerated the timeline had I had that mentor or that mastermind group or that accountability partner, because I would spend, you know, for my day job, I would spend, you know, out five, 600 miles a week, like driving in the car, like, and just listening to the radio, listening to, you know, comedy special, like I hadn't even discovered podcasts, hadn't even discovered audiobooks. I just think of all that wasted windshield time. And, you know, fast forward a few years, like I finally am plugged into this stuff and so I have mentors like Pat Flynn and the Tropical MBA podcast and Tim Ferriss and all this stuff that I really could have, I feel like I'm years behind, I'm years slower than I could have been, you know, had I been feeding myself with, you know, with this stuff, you know, for hours and hours a week instead of just like mindlessly looking at the windshield. I love the term windshield time. I had another guest refer to it as library on wheels. Um, my social circle is confused when I tell them that sometimes the best part of my day is my commute, which is an hour each way. Yeah. Um, but I love it. Uh, you know, listening to podcasts, audiobooks, I connect to people like you and others, and and that that that's really awesome. But you know, the good news is that you started with all that, and you know, look where you are today. Um, for those who are not familiar with the side hustle nation. Um, I know you mentioned earlier that you've uh, you you interview all the guests that come onto your podcast, and they each have their side hustles that they've side businesses that they've created and been successful while holding down a nine to five job. Which for many people in the audience for this show, that's kind of where they are. They're trying to figure out which path is correct for them, and you know, for many of us, we're gonna have to hold down both for a while until we figure out which one is the right one. How do you? 
every time somebody goes and they present a business to you, and they're obviously presenting it for the betterment of your audience and to you know to show them another business idea. I've heard you on the show more than once say like, oh, I, I can't wait to try this out when I you know as soon as we get <laughs> off the air, nearly excited to just jump into it. And I feel the same way, except that I'm in the shower, not near a computer. <laughs> yeah. But um, how do you decide? what to actually do and what not to do? Do you just try every single one out? How does that work? It must be overwhelming. Yeah, I definitely can't try everything out. So trying to figure out which ones really align with what I want to do, what I want to try. And it depends on different stages too. So one of the very early episodes was a gentleman who earned enough money on Fiverr to buy a house. And Fiverr is F-I-V-E-R-R.com. It's the $5 marketplace. Mm -hmm. And he came on and explained, look, it has the reputation of being the $5 marketplace, but everything starts at $5. It's all about the upsell. And he went on to explain like, you know, kind of his in-depth strategy of like your $5 thing has got to be, you know, a pre-written template or a file or, you know, some, you can put it together with software or like a little video recording, something that doesn't take you any time to deliver. And if somebody wants your specific time and, and, you know, one-on-one attention, they can pay for that in the extras and the upsells. And so, I was like, I had used Fiverr as a as a customer for for years, but had never considered using it as a seller, and that got my gears turning. And I got, you know, so I put up a couple of the books that I'd written for sale, and some of them still. So now that's four years later, still outsell Amazon. Really, you know, copy per copy, and it's like this is kind of crazy. I didn't and know I got, you can sell physical products on Fiverr. I thought it was just services. Yeah, selling well digital products or digital oh, books. Oh, got it. And I think you can actually tack on a a shipping charge, too, if you want to, you know, sell somebody a physical thing. So that's an option as well. Then I got brave and like turned I said, I'll turn on the screen recorder and I'll do like a five minute unscripted like site review of your of your website for SEO and usability and all this stuff. And that one was really fun. Did hundreds of those over probably a year and a half. I was doing it maybe even a little bit longer. Um, maybe so, not the greatest hourly rate in the hourly rate in the world, but right. a ton of fun and met some cool people through that too. See, so so you don't just see everything by the the bottom line dollar. You look at the value that you're getting for yourself as well, and the value that you're bringing to others, and the potential uh, connection down the road where you never know where that leads to. I actually listened to that episode that you're referring to. I listened to a lot of them, and I did open up my own Fiverr account. I'm trying to figure out like what am I doing? Like uh, some people will stand on top of a car and sing Happy Birthday, and that's right. I'm, not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so um, I did did do a couple of things. Didn't amount to too much, but I did go back there when I needed artwork for this podcast. And mm-hmm. I did get, and I did get it there. So, the, so that is really, um, that is really cool. So you got to ch- kind of figure out, you know, what fits with your skills, with your talents, with the things that, you know that you're really, uh, you know, that you enjoy doing in order to keep you motivated and to see if it works for you. That's really cool. Um, a lot of the guests, a lot of the audience for this show, rather, um, are right now in a job. I mean, and we know the statistics of those who are just on an hourly rate, you know, doing a desk job, the statistics showing the uh, how happy they are and how content that, um, they are in their jobs is very, very low. And many of them are listening right now and thinking, okay, this sounds cool. How do I, you know, you're clearly passionate about what you do and you've found a very unique niche and in a way I feel like you created that niche. But someone else, or you probably say niche, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm all uh, niche, all niche all the time. You're a niche all the time. I'm a niche person too. 
All right, so I will forgive your PC. <laughs> <laughs> that means personal computer, for those who didn't hear at the beginning. Um, but the question is for somebody else who's trying to find their own unique strengths, talents, and passions. Do you have any particular guidance that you would give to someone who's saying, should I start start something on the side? Should I keep on climbing the corporate ladder? Should I just drop everything that I'm doing right now? And and really, mo- more importantly, how do I figure out what it is the thing that's inside of me you know, that really gets me tech? And even before you respond, um, I sincerely believe that every single person has something that they are the best at. Not that you need to be the best to be successful, but everyone has their own unique uh, blend of talents, experiences, life setting, social circle. Um, they're just their life situation is unique, and that if they can really tap into it, or the more we tap into that, the more successful we can be. So, how do you go about? You know, how did you do it yourself? And do you think that that's something that others can learn from as well and apply to their personal situations? Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to the the concept who's the author of this it's like so good they can't ignore you cal newport right mm-hmm. he says you know starting a business based on your passion is is kind of a risky thing because you don't necessarily know that there's a market there and what's more is you might be stressed out they're like well i don't know what my passion is like that that's kind of an intimidating question to me um when i started out i definitely wasn't passionate about podcasting, but I am now four years later. It's like it's become a passion of mine. I wasn't passionate about self-publishing, but now five years later, it's become a passion of mine. Like they kind of come down the road as you start different things and you see like, okay, that was fun. That was interesting. That was exciting. I'm seeing some results from that. And then that wheel can start to spin a little bit. One of the ways to, I guess, you know, come up with different side hustle ideas and there's a million different ways uh, to go about it but I call it like the intersection method where you kind of in, you make three columns and in the first column you're listing kind of your, almost your resume, like your skills, your experiences, like what you know how to do, what skills can you bring into the world in column two, you're putting what you care about, what you're excited about, like what do you like to do in your free time? Like what are you interested in? Right. And then in the third column is kind of your connections, your network, like who do you know and who do you, and who do they know? Like, who, what's your network's network in a way to say like, okay, if I was going to try and find an intersection between these three columns, like what would that look like? Is that providing, uh, you know, proof in one of my examples, like I did proofreading for business book authors or nonfiction authors. Cause I said, Hey, I was a decent student, a decent English student in school, like, okay, I can check that box in column one. Uh, I'm interested in reading business books in column two, like, oh, reading is a passion of mine. And then in column three is like, who do you know? It's like, well, I've connected with other authors through certain Facebook groups, through even through Fiverr, got some clients through there, and through other people who are teaching self-publishing online. It was like, that was kind of an example of the intersection business model at work for me. Wow, that is absolutely awesome. And I love that for so many reasons. Um, the first first reason is because I've listened to so much and read so much about trying to find your inner passions and there's all sorts of um, unique uh, you know methods and tools to do it and one of them is what you just just discussed 
Uh, but before we even go there, I like what you said the other way around. Sometimes you have to reverse engineer your passions. You know, you could sit there until you pull all your hair out and trying to figure out what is it that really excites me when I was, you know, and when I was in this business and I was interacting, it was pretty good, but that would be a four and this is a six. And sometimes <laughs> we could get so bogged down with, you know, is this really my passion? It's not really my passion. And I've done the exercise where I've asked my contacts who I thought were my friends, you know, what do you think I'm passionate about? And I've gotten some responses. It, it, it can be somewhat frustrating. And maybe if I sound frustrated, that's because I've tried some of these things unsuccessfully. But you're saying the other way, by keeping it, keeping the emotions out of it a little bit and focusing more on what you said, you know, doing, finding what your skills are, what your interests are, and then what your connections are, and finding the the place where they overlap, that can really show you where. Do you, you find can... that you're? I was going to ask if you found that you know your side projects have made you more excited, or have, have they made you a better employee, or does it kind of get your mind, you know, even during nine to five, like I, I'm really thinking about this other project. <laughs> Do I have to answer that honestly? Um, I all of my employees will be signing um, and subscribing to my show does that answer your question no perfect perfect. (laughs) so yeah no I'm definitely uh, passionate about this I really think this is this is bringing already a tremendous value but that's a good litmus test Um, I assume that that's what you mean is that if it's kind of you know, if it's if it's a conscious effort, which it is, I have you know now my my non side hustle hours, my nine to five hours um, are clearly scripted. I really have planned out hour by hour exactly what I'm going to be doing, because by default, if there's open time, I will find myself you know going back to all the different things that I'm doing and making you know trying to push things forward in my side hustle, which yeah, which kind of indicates something over there. Yeah, but well, the reason I the reason I bring it up is. I think done right, it can actually make people better employees and more excited about their day job. Like for me, I was at the very bottom rung of this, you know, Fortune 50 company. And, you know, I could show up today or I could not show up today. It would make almost zero impact to the bottom line. But, you know, by nights and weekends, like I was building this business. It was a comparison shopping site for shoes at the time, like totally random. But that's what I was working on. That's how I was spending my free time. But it put me in the CEO chair. It put me in the mentality of profit and loss and and ultimately like eventually hiring employees and advertising and you know return on investment and all this different stuff that I was not seeing um, at the day job. And so kind of and and part of the day job was interfacing with dealers and sometimes had been in business third generation, fourth generation, like the you know, Henry Ford signed their franchise agreement and stuff like that. They've been around forever. And mm-hmm. I come in as a twenty two, twenty three year old and like try and make recommendations. They're like, dude, what do you know? And so having that outside perspective, I think actually made me a better employee because I could, you know, suddenly speak with these people, not necessarily on their level, but it's like, hey, look, I'm running this other business on the side, like I know, at least I know something of what I'm talking about versus like somebody who just is fresh out of school and has no experience at all. Awesome. So, I mean, simply put, it sounds like it just grows your confidence because you're making high level decisions. You are the CEO, founder, executive, and everything of your own company that you start. You're also the one who cleans the floors and does everything. But (laughs) at the same time, you're thinking on a whole different level. A lot of our accomplishments uh, or lack of accomplishments is because of the circle, the box that we put ourselves in. But by having your 
side hustle on the side, um, that that really can enhance your nine to five. Now, if you're the boss in the building um, and there's no one on top of you, so then that can be dangerous. Like it, you know, where you can, it's a challenge to keep the time balanced, but where you don't have the option really to fool around. You're sitting there anyway, at least physically. You can be that much more engaged because you kind of feel like you're now. I'm an engaged person. I'm a real player out there. I made a website out there. There are people coming to it. I'm selling stuff. You know, I think things are actually really starting to happen. So that's such a great perspective. And I like it even more because if someone is contemplating this question and they're trying to figure out, do I start my own business? Do I keep on going stronger with my nine to five? It might sound like, okay, I'm living a double life until I figure this out. And you're saying now how they can really complement each other. That as you start your other business, regardless of which one trumps, if any of them do, and if you end up going full-time into one, either you can stay with that balance if that's doable. But even while you're going through that transitional stage, they can each support each other. You get a certain set of level of structure from the actual 9 to 5, and you can have the confidence and the mindset from the side hustle. So that's really cool. Um, I really do like that. Um, Can you take us to the moment which you feel was your absolutely most uh, distressful disaster, <laughs> you know, like your worst uh, business failure. And tell us, you know, what you learned from it and maybe a word of caution to those who have not yet made that mistake. Gosh, the low point, um, there's, there's been lots of low points. Probably <laughs> the one that sticks out in my mind are kind of like the scariest because it was like, so well defined. It was actually my first day of self-employment. Like I, I turned in the keys to my company car, I gave my notice to my boss and said, look, I'm out of here. This was summer of 2008 and the economy is imploding and, you know, gas is 450 a gallon right. and it's like not, not a great time, but I'm like, Hey, look, I'm, I'm going to go out. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to be a full-time like sh- online shoe salesman. And on day one, the server crashes and it's like, well, that's not a great omen, I guess. And of all days, uh, this is the day that Google decides to crawl the website for like their quality score algorithm for their advertising account. And they come back and say, first they say, well, the site doesn't even load. So this is garbage. And then once the server is back up, they say, hey, 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 wait a minute. This site only exists to drive traffic to other sites. That's a violation of our of our advertising terms. Like, are you kidding me? Like, the sole purpose of Google is to drive traffic to other sites. Like, what are you talking about? And they, but they shut it down. They shut down the whole ad account, which was accounting for probably 80% of the site's traffic and revenue at that time. And it was a really, really stressful summer trying to get back into their good graces. So we had to make some tweaks to the landing pages and make some updates to the site and and it was just like, you know, I had hair at that point. Now I'm like totally bald. Like it was a really <laughs> stressful time. Like, like I got to figure out how to make this work. And, and, and at a time when no, no money is coming in and having to reinvest in development and all this stuff, it was kind of a scary, a scary time. So the, the lesson for and three months later, they come back and say, Hey, it looks like we made an error. You know, you're good to go. And they flip the switch and, you know, we was off to the races again. Wow. But it was just like, ah, you know how much that cost me? But, you know, you it, it kind of hammered home the point of diversi- diversification and also like building your own brand that doesn't necessarily have to rely on Google. And it's actually um, at an affiliate summit conference. Like this is one of Gary V's like first keynote speaking appearances. He's like, look, if you're if you if your business relies on Google, you know, 
you're you're running a risky uh, a risky operation there. It's like build a build your own brand that stands alone, and it's taken a lot of years to try and eventually do that. But and, and I still get more than half of my traffic from Google, so I'm not going to like ignore it. But trying to build something that that you have a little bit more control over, and then diversifying the income streams a little bit. So if something does happen to go away, it's not the end of the world. Okay. Wow. So that definitely is sounds like a pretty serious uh, low point, especially just starting off and having all that happen at the same time. Um, and you bring up diversification, which obviously is all that important. Now, just so I understand and so that the audience understands what you're saying a little bit better, you're saying that the, the advice that you were getting then, and I know that you know Gary Vee is all into the social media world and you know, branding yourself and you're branding yourself whether you like it or not, um, but I guess the point was to drive your own traffic. Assuming Google would never send you a single lead, could you still survive? Is that basically the model? Yeah, and for the shoe business, that was never going to be the case. Like, you never got any love from organic or social. Like, it was just heavily reliant on paid search. But now, like, the Side Hustle show is a good example, or, or Side Hustle Nation is a better example, because it gets a, a really diversified traffic stream from Google and YouTube and iTunes and Pinterest and, you know, all this different stuff and direct traffic and the email list. And it's built up over time, but it's... It's, a, it's much more safeguarded than like, okay, 80% is Google AdWords and it's kind of arbitrary. They can shut you off at any time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and that's how it was initially. Yeah, <laughs> sadly. Wow, wow. Okay, no, it's not sadly. How are you supposed to know anything? Uh, until you actually do, uh, you can read a thousand books and you could see what everyone else has done. Until you start actually doing things and making those mistakes, there's no way you know to really be successful. Well, that that is really a... A really great story, and I really appreciate you sharing that with us uh, today. What about um, what? What do you feel is a, a proud success moment where you feel you were able to look back and say, "I started with that shaky start, with shutting my server <laughs> crashing, and you know the story you just described." And then, was there any clearly defined moment where it's like, "I got this. Look, it's it's coming together. I feel like I've kind of made it, at least in my niche." And, uh, you know, things will be okay. Perhaps there wasn't, but, you know, do you have such a moment you can describe for us? This one is a little bit tougher. For the shoe business, I mean, there were a lot of fun kind of Q4 periods and Black Friday periods where, you know, you're spending a ton of money on advertising, but you're really converting really well. And you're bringing in a ton of money in sales or in, in affiliate commissions. like, And so that was really fun. That was really rewarding. And it's, it was rewarding to be able to go you know, take off and go skiing on a, in the middle of the week. And, you know, the hardest part is trying to convince friends to like skip work and go with you. It's like, I need right. more, I need more entrepreneurial friends. Cause it's like, dude, there's powder. We got to go. It's <laughs> kind of depressing to be like, dude, I got to work. Like, what's your deal? Uh, um, so there's stuff like that on the side hustle nation side. It's, it's a lot harder to say, like, you know, if there, if there's an, I made it, moment or you know a really successful moment one of the coolest things is almost everywhere we go now being able to connect with listeners and so some of the most fun that i've had is hosting meetups and we've done them all around the country and in dc and chicago and and southern california and texas and seattle (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just you know i gotta get out to boston again it's been a few years so 
so that's really cool. I mean, we've done, you know, we had a meetup in, in Tokyo. I met a listener in Vietnam, you know, a guy met us in the airport at, in Prague when we landed and like, wow. you know, showed us how to use public transport. Like that stuff is so, it's so cool to have because it's the same, it's the same setup as it was on the, on the first day. It's like a $50 mic in my living room and just like the reach of this medium is so, is so powerful. So but why do, why do why do you think that's the case? What do you think that there are so many podcasts that start and fail every single year? There's so many podcasts. I mean, I spend time on iTunes looking at <laughs> successful ones and the less successful ones, and yours is definitely a very successful one. What do you attribute the large reach um, of your and the growth of your podcast? There's a few things. Number one is probably consistency and. In, in consistency in putting out the show and consistency in even it probably took a while to kind of hit my stride as a host, but consistency in even the language that you use, not necessarily like you don't have to be as rigid as like EO fire where it's like, you know, every question is the same. And right. now we're going to the lightning round. Right. But like that works because it's something people are familiar with. It's like a, it's a page right out of radio's playbook. I remember growing up in Seattle, listening to 107.7, the end every morning, getting ready for school. It's like this trivia game called beat the producer. Right. And you kind of look, you come to expect it. Right. And it's kind of like it, you get into the rhythm of people's days, people's weeks. So I think that's part of it. The other piece of it is really the guests stories like I I don't know because I don't don't necessarily rely on your guests to share the episodes for you because like oh you're in you're interviewing Seth Godin or Gary Vee like that's not a great share for them their audience already knows about them like that's not that's not oh I'm gonna you know share this on Facebook and get all all of Gary Vee's fans right right but on the on the flip side is like trying to find people with like actually interesting tactical information and stories and lessons to share that's kind of been more exciting and cool. and i hope uh, my theory is that's kind of played into the word of mouth um maybe not viral obviously i haven't gone super viral but like you know how it how it can spread through word of mouth like hey you got to listen to this you got to check it out we talked about pat flynn the example that i'd still come back to on his show is episode 99 where he interviewed a, a woman and i think her husband who were making like six figures, just like scanning stuff with their phones at Walmart and like flipping it on Amazon. My like mind was blown that this was even a possibility. And so I went home, I got back from like the dog walk or whatever was going on and immediately, you know, emailed like five friends, like, dude, you have to listen to this. It, it this, this show will make you money. And because it was too good not to share. Wow. So that's kind of what, what I aim for, for, wow. for the show. I don't think I hit it every week, but trying to get it done. No, so I mean, just to simplify what you said is providing real, meaningful content, regardless of who the person is that's providing the content, can be more beneficial than getting a brand name out there if the content may not be there, or if the person is already so well saturated in the market that another show from a relatively no-name podcast, you know, might not really get you out there. But content, people eat content, and people are starving for it, and. And that's really cool. I have to listen to that episode. I don't plan on starting to do that. But, <laughs> that's, you know what? It, that does sound too cool to be true. I really thank you for sharing that. Um, people think that I have a forum. You know, I have a, it's it's relatively, you know, low cost of entry um, to start a podcast, although there's a lot of steps, like you know. Um, but still, you know, once you're in it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not so complex. But 
a lot of people don't succeed because you you need to have what to say. A microphone is not enough. And if you don't have what to say, you need to bring others who do have what to say. So, I mean, that's that's really cool. That was that was my life hack. I'll host an interview show, so I don't have to talk. <laughs> that's why you're here today. Yes. I figured at least someone will, will, with some experience will be here to share some advice with the audience today. Just as we wrap up here, I know that your time is valuable. Any particular book, and I say book because I know I'm sure there's been lots which have influenced you, um, other than your own, which we'll put a link to that as well. Um, any particular book that you would recommend for those who are trying to, are still struggling, they're not a full-fledged side hustler yet, but they're still on the fence trying to figure out where is their sweet spot, where they're going to be able to provide you know, for their financial means at the same time doing something that they really enjoy. One book is really tough. Oh, we, we, we could do two if you have to. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. The, the one that comes to mind is uh, The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. And it's all about being helpful first. So there's there's millions and millions of posts written online and even podcasts about like how to make money online, how to you know turn the internet into a cash machine. But the answer is really, really simple. It's just being helpful to somebody. And the, the go-giver kind of hammers home that point. It does it kind of in a parable uh, type of storytelling. And the guy is inside a corporation when he's, you know, while he's getting mentored and stuff. But I really like that one. That one kind of stands uh, stands out to me. Awesome. I have heard this recommended before. I did not actually go read it, but I will now. Um, and I've, but that piece of advice I've definitely heard. I mean, Paflin is definitely very into that. And it's it's the wonder, it's the beauty of the internet is that now that we're all you know with this global connectivity and like you said, you were able to go all over the world and meet people who you've connected with without even knowing. Um, it's just because you just provide value, and as long as there's enough people in the world. Um, to consume that content, then you have an audience, and it goes from there. That is awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Nick, today. I really appreciate it. Just before we actually go, what is the best way for the audience to get in touch with you and to follow all the wonderful work that you're doing now? You bet. SideHustleNation.com is the home base for me. If you're kind of in the market for some side hustle ideas, you can hit SideHustleNation.com slash ideas for a constantly updated laundry list of different part-time projects you can take on. And of course, we'd love to have you tune into the Side Hustle Show podcast available in iTunes and wherever fine podcasts are sold. I like that. Wherever fine podcasts are sold, <laughs> even though it's free of cost. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Nick, for your time today. Um, you've really shared you know, lots of valuable information and you, know, you have the experience um, to be able to give that unique perspective uh, even those who will never become side hustlers, but you know, we spoke how that can kind of they'll be able to live the balance until they figure out what you know what is the right path for them to use their unique strengths and talents um, to be able to do finally find the work that they love. So thank you so much for that. I really appreciate your time. You bet, man. Thanks for having me. All right, thank you. If you have enjoyed today's show, we would really appreciate it if you can head over to iTunes and rate our show and make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And we look forward to seeing you next time in our next episode. Goodbye now.